It's the time of year when we're all thinking about goals and priorities. Now is the time to plan your next trip. Whatever kind of travel fills you up, whether it's lounging on the beach, connecting with family and friends, or going on a foreign adventure, Expedia has the tools you need to plan a great trip. Download the Expedia app or visit Expedia.com to start planning. You do need to be a OneKey member to use price tracking. Signing up is easy and free. Expedia, made to travel. We've all been there. You have a question about your credit card, you call the number for help, and can't get a hold of anyone. If you only had a Discover card. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right, a real person. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. I'm Oprah Winfrey. Welcome to Super Soul Conversations, the podcast. I believe that one of the most valuable gifts you can give yourself is time. Taking time to be more fully present. Your journey to become more inspired and connected to the deeper world around us starts right now. Whenever I hear Paul Simon's song, Born at the Right Time, I think he must be singing about me. I came into the world in 1954 in Mississippi, a state with more lynchings than any other in the Union, at a time when being a black man walking down the street, minding your business, could make you subject to any white person's accusation or whimsy. A time when having a good job meant working for a nice white family that at least didn't call you nigger to your face. A time when Jim Crow reigned, segregation prevailed, and black teachers themselves, scarcely educated, were forced to use ragged textbooks discarded from white schools. Yet, the same year I was born, a season of change began. In 1954, the Supreme Court ruled in Brown v. Board of Education that black people had the right to equal education. The ruling created hope that life could be better for black folks everywhere. I've always believed free will is a birthright, part of the universe's design for us, and I know that every soul yearns to be free. In 1997, while I was preparing to play Setha in the movie Beloved, I arranged a trip along a portion of the Underground Railroad. I wanted to connect with what it felt like to be a slave, wandering through the woods, making my way north to a life beyond slavery. A life where being free at its most basic level meant not having a master telling you what to do. But when I was blindfolded, taken into the woods, and left alone to contemplate which direction led to the next safe house. I understood for the first time that freedom isn't about not having a master. Freedom is about having a choice. In the film, Setha explains what it was like to make the trek to freedom. She said, look like I love my children more after we got here. Or maybe I knew as long as we were in Kentucky, they really weren't mine to love. Sometimes I hear my boys hear them laughing a laugh I ain't never heard. First I get scared. Scared somebody might hear him and get mad. Then I remember that if they laugh that hard till it hurt, 
that'd be the only hurt they have all day. She also says, I'd wake up in the morning and decide for myself what to do with the day, as if thinking, imagine, me, decide. During the shooting of that film, I said those lines over and over, feeling the force they carried. In the years since, Setha's words have remained with me. I rejoice in them daily. Sometimes they're my very first thought before I get out of bed. I can wake up in the morning and decide for myself what to do with the day. Imagine, me, decide. What a gift that is. What I know for sure is that we all need to cherish that gift, to revel in it rather than take it for granted. After the hundreds of stories I've heard of atrocities around the globe, I know that if you are a woman born in the United States, you are one of the luckiest women in the world. Take your good fortune and lift your life to its highest calling. Understand that the right to choose your own path is a sacred privilege. Use it. Dwell in possibility. I have always been a homebody. I know that might be hard to believe, given my full schedule, but I usually head home right after work, finish dinner before 7, and climb into bed by 9.30. Even on weekends, home is my all-time favorite hangout. Since I've spent most of my adult life in the public eye, it's important for me to carve out a private space, a refuge, a safe house. Years ago, Goldie Hawn told me she'd created her own safe haven by declaring her home a gossip-free zone. As part of her work for Words Can Heal, a national campaign to eliminate verbal violence, she and her family pledged to replace words that belittle and do damage with those that encourage and rebuild. Her choice to use language that uplifts is in line with the truth Maya Angelou once passed on to me. She said, I'm convinced that the negative has power, and if you allow it to perch in your house, in your mind, in your life, it can take you over. Those negative words... Climb into the woodwork, into the furniture, and the next thing you know, they're on your skin. A negative statement, Maya said, is poison. Well, I know firsthand just how hurtful negative words can be. Early in my career, when the tabloids began printing untruthful things about me, I was devastated. I felt so misunderstood, and I wasted a lot of energy worrying about whether people would believe the falsehoods. I had to fight the urge to get on the phone with anybody who maligned me and defend myself. That was before I understood what I now know for sure. When someone spreads lies about you, it's not about you, ever. Gossip, whether in the form of a rumor that's sweeping the nation or a gripe session between friends, reflects the insecurity of those who initiate it. Often, when we make negative statements about others behind their backs, it's because We want to feel powerful, and that's usually because in some way we feel powerless, unworthy, not courageous enough to be forthright. Hurtful words send the message, both to ourselves and to those with whom we share them, that we can't be trusted. If someone is willing to tear down one friend, why wouldn't she be willing to disparage another? Gossip means we haven't emboldened ourselves to talk directly to the people we take issue with, so we belittle them. Playwright Jules Pfeiffer calls it committing little murders. Gossip is an assassination attempt 
by a coward. We live in a culture obsessed with gossip. Who's wearing what? Who's dating whom? Who's entangled in the latest sex scandal? What would happen if we declared our homes, our relationships, our lives, a gossip-free zone? We'd probably be surprised at how much time we'd free up to do the work that's most significant, building our dreams rather than tearing down others. We'd fill our homes with a spirit of truth that makes visitors want to kick off their shoes and stay a while. And we'd remember that while words have the power to destroy, they also have the power to heal. Some people might find it ironic that I have never been much of a TV watcher. Aside from old reruns of The Andy Griffith Show, I stopped regularly tuning in to sitcoms the night Mary Tyler Moore went off the air. At home, I skip the late-night news because I don't want to take in all that negative energy right before sleep. And on vacation, I seldom have a TV in my bedroom. On days when I do flip through the channels, it's almost certain I'll find at least one show that involves sexual exploitation or violence against women. In my early days on air, I was guilty of doing irresponsible television without even knowing it, all in the name of entertainment. One day, my staff and I booked a husband who'd been caught in an adulterous sex scandal. And right there on our stage, before millions of viewers, his wife heard for the first time that her partner had been unfaithful. It's a moment I've never forgotten. The humiliation and despair on that woman's face made me ashamed of myself for putting her in that position. And right in that moment, I decided I would never again be a part of a show that demeaned, embarrassed, or diminished another human being. I know for sure that what we dwell on is who we become. As a woman thinks, so she is. If we absorb hour upon hour of images and messages that don't reflect our magnificence, it is no wonder we walk around feeling drained of our life force. If we tune in to dozens of acts of brutality every week, it shouldn't surprise us that our children see violence as an acceptable way to resolve conflict. Become the change you want to see. Those are words I live by. Instead of belittling, uplift. Instead of demolishing, rebuild. Instead of misleading, light the way so that all of us can stand on higher ground. Did you know that it's Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month? Macy's is highlighting some really cool AAPI-owned brands right now, like Cardon, Kaja, Amelia George, and Hey Meave. Plus, you can help to support college access and student success when you donate online or round up in-store to APIA scholars. APIA is the nation's leading nonprofit organization devoted to the academic, personal, and professional success of Asian American, Native Hawaiian, and Pacific Islander students. Shop Asian American and Pacific Islander-owned brands at Macy's.com or in-store. Thomas's presents Tackling Traffic with Tom. Good morrow! Tis your reminder to savour the morning with Thomas's breakfast. And while you may not be able to control what occurs on your commute, like your horse and buggy popping a wheel and axle on the way to the schoolhouse, you can control what you put atop your soft but crunchy bagel and the toastiness of your English muffin. So do take the time to savour the morning with Thomas's. Thomas's! Huzzah! A toast to breakfast! 
There I am, sitting in Mr. Hooper's fifth period algebra class, dreading the test we're about to take, when an announcement over the intercom tells us to go to the auditorium for a special guest speaker. Hooray! I thought I'd been saved. I say that to myself, figuring that'll be the end of algebra for today. My escape is the only thing on my mind as my classmates and I enter the room single file. I settle into my seat and prepare to be bored to sleep in yet another assembly. But when the speaker is introduced as the Reverend Jesse Jackson, a civil rights leader who was with Dr. King the day he was shot, I sit up a little straighter. What I don't yet know is that I'm about to hear the speech of a lifetime. It was 1969. Because I was an A to B student, I thought I already understood the importance of doing my best. But that day, Reverend Jackson lit a fire in me that changed the way I see life. His speech was about the personal sacrifices that had been made for all of us, regardless of how our ancestors came to be here. He talked about those who'd gone before us, who'd paved the way for us to be sitting in an integrated high school in Nashville. He told us that what we owed ourselves was excellence. Excellence is the best deterrent to racism, he said. Therefore, be excellent. I took him at his word. That evening, I went home, found some construction paper, and made a poster bearing his challenge. I taped that poster to my mirror where it stayed through my college years. Over time, I added my own maxims. If you want to be successful, be excellent. If you want the best the world has to offer, offer the world your best. Those words have helped me over many a hurdle, even when less than my best was evident. To this day, excellence is my intention. To be excellent in giving, in graciousness, in effort, in struggle, and in strife. For me, being excellent means always doing my personal best. In Don Miguel Ruiz's book, The Four Agreements, the final agreement is just that. Always do your best. I know for sure that this is the most fulfilling path to personal freedom. Your best varies from day to day, Ruiz says, depending on how you're feeling. No matter, give your best in every circumstance so that you have no reason to judge yourself and create guilt and shame. Live so that at the end of each day, you can say, I did my very best. That's what it means to excel at the great work of living your best life. My father raised me to believe that being in debt was a terrible thing. In our house, it was almost a character flaw akin to laziness and what he called trifling. So, When I moved away from home and was $1,800 in debt within a year, I felt I had failed. I never told my father, nor would I have dared to borrow money from him. Instead, I took out a consolidation loan at 21% interest. I ate a lot of Raisin Bran for dinner and bought the cheapest car I could afford, a bucket on wheels, I used to call it. But it got me to and from work. I tithed. 10% to the church, and shop for clothes only once a year. I paid off the $1,800 and vowed never again to create more bills than I could afford. I just hated the way overspending made me feel. 
My dad saved for everything that mattered, a washer and dryer, a new refrigerator. By the time I left home in Nashville in 1976, he still hadn't gotten a new TV. He said his money just wasn't right. When the Oprah Winfrey show went national, that's the first thing I bought him, a colored TV, paid for in cash. Why anyone chooses to live a life in debt has always been a puzzle to me. I'll never forget a couple who appeared on my show to talk about their financial plight. They'd been married for only nine months, but their relationship was already buckling beneath the weight of a gigantic expense. They charged most of their beach wedding in Mexico, paying for hotel rooms and spa treatments for some of their guests, lobster and filet mignon for the wedding dinner, and an open bar. On the other side of this blessed event were credit card bills for almost $50,000. That didn't include the $9,000 the husband had borrowed from his 401k plan to buy the engagement ring. The pursuit of a fairy tale weekend had landed them in a nightmare that lasted for years. What I know for sure, when you define yourself by the things you can acquire, rather than see what you really need to be happy and fulfill, you're not just living beyond your means or overextending yourself. You are living a lie. That's why being burdened with bills feels so awful. You're being untrue to yourself. When you free yourself from debt, you create space to purchase with purpose, to add to your life things that are meaningful. I still think twice before I buy anything. How will this fit in with what I already have? Am I just caught up in the moment? Can it be of real use to me, or is it just something beautiful to have? I still remember the time years ago when I was in an antique store and the dealer showed me a gorgeous 18th century dressing table with mirrors and hidden drawers. It was polished to such a sheen that the cherry wood seemed to be vibrating. But as I stood pondering whether to purchase it, I said to the man, you're right, it's beautiful, and I've never seen one quite like it, but I don't really need a dressing table with all that razzle-dazzle. He took a pretentious breath and replied, Madam, no one buys anything here because of their needs. These are treasures to be enjoyed. Indeed. Well, let me get on down to the need store, I thought, because what I'm really looking for are fireplace utensils. Not only did I not need a dressing table, I didn't even have the space for it. To be fair, Mr. Dealer Man had a point. Some things are just to be treasured and enjoyed. But I know for sure that you enjoy everything a lot more when you're not overreaching. This is how you know you've shopped smart. You bring home a purchase, there's not a tinge of remorse, and whatever you got feels better to you 10 days later than it did when you first bought it. In 1988, I was in Tiffany's, trying to decide between two china patterns. I was going back and forth, and finally my shopping buddy said, uh, why don't you just get both? You can afford to. I still remember thinking in that moment, oh, my God, I can. I can get both. I started jumping up and down right there in the store like, like I'd won the lottery. Since that time, I've had many shopping temptations, but knowing that mindfulness matters in all experiences, I try to remain grounded. Another yellow sweater is going to make me feel what? If the answer is nothing, I'll put it back or get it for someone whose day it will brighten, like Gail, who loves yellow the way some people love chocolate. 
I hope the way you spend your money is in line with the truth of who you are and what you really care about. I hope that your money brings joy to you and the ones you love. And I hope you use it as a powerful force for good to fulfill your best intentions. In my 20s, I attended a prayer breakfast in Washington, D.C. that was sponsored by the National Black Caucus. I had the good fortune to hear a most eloquent preacher from Cleveland, Reverend Otis Moss, Jr., a man who would go on to become a mentor and friend. That day, Reverend Moss told a story that abides with me to this day. His father, a poor sharecropper, worked all his life to raise and care for his family, suffering the same sort of indignities and humiliations that generations before him had long endured. But in his 50s, he finally had a chance to do what those generations never had, cast his vote in an election. On election day, he rose before dawn, dressed in his best suit, the one he wore to weddings and funerals, and prepared to walk to the polls to vote against a racist Georgia governor in favor of a moderate. Six miles he walked. When he got there, he was told he was in the wrong place and was sent to another location. He walked another five or six miles and was met with the same denial before being sent to a third voting place. When he arrived at the third location, they told him, Boy, you're a little late. The polls just closed. After walking all day, covering more than 18 miles, he returned home, exhausted and depleted, never having experienced the joy of voting. Otis Moss Sr. told this story to anyone who would listen and lived in great anticipation of his next chance to cast his vote. He died before the next election. He never got that chance to choose. So now I do. And every time I cast a ballot, I choose not only for myself, but also for Otis Moss Sr. and for the countless others who wanted to but couldn't. I cast a ballot for everybody who came before me and gave their life's energy so that yours and mine could be a force that matters today. Sojourner Truth, speaking at the Women's Rights Convention in Akron, Ohio, in 1851, said, If the first woman God ever made was strong enough to turn the world upside down all alone, these women together ought to be able to turn it back and get it right side up again. We'd see amazing changes if women took to the polls en masse. Recent voting statistics are embarrassing and disrespectful to our female heritage, to every woman who had no voice but hoped someday her daughters might be heard. In 2008, only about two-thirds of eligible female voters bothered to cast a ballot. And remember, the 2000 presidential election was decided by only 537 votes. I know for sure we ought to respect ourselves and our forebearers enough to be counted. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Look around. 
You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding right your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader. We are a country that spends 95% of our healthcare dollars on treating illness and less than 5% on staying well and preventing it. How mixed up is that? The paradigm needs to change, and the change begins with how we choose to see ourselves as purveyors of health or as conveyors of disease. The ultimate in being healthy is to operate at full throttle, physically, emotionally, spiritually. It's being alert, feeling alive and connected. And if you look at your life as a circle and all its aspects, family, finance, relationships, work, among others, as sections of it, you'll see that if one part is malfunctioning, it will affect the whole. There have been many times in my life when I've put far too much emphasis on work and not nearly enough on taking care of me. There is a huge difference between attending to the needs of your personality, your ego, and caring for your true self. Making that distinction can save you a lot of wasted time. This, I know for sure. You've got to be in touch with your mind, body, and spirit to live the life you were meant to. When all three are completely engaged, you're able to fulfill your potential on Earth. It is a decision you make to pursue what you were called here to do and not just meander through your days. The average life expectancy for an American woman is 80. That's a prediction, not a promise. What you do today creates every tomorrow. To own the abundant life that's waiting for you, you have got to be willing to do the real work. Not your job, not your career profile, but heeding your spirit, which is whispering its greatest desires for you. You've got to get silent sometimes to hear it and check in regularly. You must feed your mind with thoughts and ideas that open you to greater possibilities. When you stop learning, you cease to grow and subconsciously tell the universe you've done it all. Nothing new for you, so why are you here? You can't keep pretending that your body will function forever no matter how you treat it. Your body wants to move. It wants to be fed well. If you're sprinting through life as though it's a race you have to win, you need to slow down and schedule some rest. Because the truth is, you have already won. You're still here with another chance to get it right. Do better and be better. Starting now. Years ago on my show, a young mother shared her frustration with getting her son to go to bed. Her son was three years old and ruling the house. He wanted to sleep in her bed. He refused to even lie down in his own. And the more the mother insisted, the more the child resisted, yelling and screaming until he literally dropped from exhaustion. We showed a tape with the two of them battling it out. When our expert, Dr. Stanley Tarecki, finished watching, he said something that made the hairs on my arm stand up. He said this, nothing happens until you decide. 
The reason this three-year-old boy didn't sleep in his own bed was that his mother had not decided it would happen. When she did, the child would go to his bed. He might cry and scream and rant until he fell asleep, but he would eventually realize that his mother had made up her mind. Well, I knew Dr. Tarecki was speaking about a three-year-old, but I also knew for sure that this brilliant piece of advice applied to many other aspects of life. Relationships, career moves, weight issues. Everything depends on your decisions. When you don't know what to do, my best advice is to do nothing until clarity comes. Getting still, being able to hear your own voice, and not the voices of the world, quickens clarity. Once you decide what you want, make a commitment to that decision. One of my favorite quotes is from Mountaineer W.H. Murray, who says, until one is committed, there is hesitancy, the chance to draw back, always, ineffectiveness. Concerning all acts of initiative and creation, there is one elementary truth, the ignorance of which kills countless ideas and splendid plans, that the moment one definitely commits oneself, then providence moves too. All sorts of things occur to help one that would never otherwise have occurred. A whole stream of events issues from the decision, raising in one's favor all manner of unforeseen incidents and meetings and material assistance, which no man could have dreamt would have come his way. I have learned a deep respect for one of Goethe's couplets, whatever you can do or dream you can, begin it. Boldness has genius, power, and magic in it. Make a decision and watch your life move forward. I am always fascinated by lists of most powerful people and by the ways they use external things, fame, status, wealth, to define and rank power. It's curious how a person can go from the top of the list one year to unlisted the next, all in the blink of a board meeting. Was that person's power real? Or was the power only in the position? We often get the two confused. When I think of authentic power, I think of the power that occurs when purpose aligns with personality to serve the greater good. For me, the only real power is the kind that comes from the core of who you are and reflects all that you were meant to be. When you see this kind of power shining through someone in all its truth and certainty, it is irresistible, inspiring, elevating. The secret is alignment. When you know for sure that you're on course and doing exactly what you're supposed to be doing, fulfilling your soul's intention, your heart's desire, when your life is on course with its purpose, you are at your most powerful. And though you may stumble, you will not fall. I went down to Louisiana five days after Katrina hit to witness for myself the disastrous effects of that hurricane. My Angelo described it so profoundly, saying, the land became water and the water thought it was God. I spent no more than 10 minutes in the Superdome in New Orleans where thousands of families had waited and waited for five days for help to come. Days afterward, I thought I could still smell the urine and feces mixed with the pungency of decaying flesh. 
I said on the air, I think we all, this country, owe these families an apology. The next day, Gail King, who in addition to being my best friend is also O Magazine's editor-at-large, got a phone call from an irate reader canceling her subscription because Oprah has gotten too big for her britches telling us the government needs to apologize to those people. What I know for sure is that behind every catastrophe, there are great lessons to be learned. One of the greatest? As long as we play the us-and-them game, we don't evolve. As people, as a nation, as a planet. Katrina gave us an opportunity to live in the space of an open heart and to show our compassion. Over the years, I've heard many people lamenting why God allows this or God allows that. Another lesson. People suffer not because of what God does, but because of what we do and not do. So much of what happened in the aftermath of Katrina was man-made, and as we all saw, there was plenty of blame to go around, but the storm also gave us a chance to see that in moments of desperation, fear, helplessness, each of us can be a rainbow of hope, doing what we can to extend ourselves in kindness and grace to one another. Because I know for sure, there is no them. There's only us. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. In January 2009, I appeared on the cover of O twice, two versions of me standing side by side, a before and after. In one image, the before, I was in good shape, in the after, I was overweight. I had the confidence to show these photos of myself because I knew I wasn't alone. An estimated 66% of American adults are either overweight or obese, and almost nobody's happy about it. That cover stirred an outpouring of emotion and avalanche of support. One of the most memorable responses I got was this email from a friend. Here's how I see your weight. It is your smoke detector, and we're all burning up the best part of ourselves, it said. I'd never thought of it that way before, but it was a true aha moment. My weight was an indicator warning, a flashing light blaring my disconnection from the center of myself. What I now know for sure is that for me, weight is a spiritual issue, not a food issue. Marianne Williamson struck a nerve when she sent this email. Your weight, she said, is really an invitation to your best life. All those years of diets doomed to fail... I thought weight was the barrier. I told myself I had a weight problem. Instead of looking at my out-of-balance existence and how I use food to repress the facts, I once co-authored a book with Bob Green called Make the Connection. The title was his idea. Even while writing my part, which involved sharing my frustrated journal entries about being fat, I weighed 237 pounds when Bob and I met. I would often say to him, Remind me again, what is the connection? I did learn from Bob that my overeating wasn't about potato chips, that I needed to peel back the layers of my addiction to food and figure out what was eating me. Obviously, I hadn't peeled deeply enough. But now I know that the connection is loving, honoring, and protecting everything about yourself. Bob has often said to me, your weight is ultimately tied to your feelings of unworthiness. For years, I vehemently disagreed, saying, listen, Bob Green, 
Let me tell you one thing. I am not one of those people who think they don't deserve what they have. I've worked hard for everything I own. But as I move along this spiritual path to permanently resolving and managing the weight issue, I now see that a sense of unworthiness can come in many forms. I've been an overachiever since I was three years old. For years, I felt the need to show that I belonged here, the need to prove my worth. I worked hard. I got A's. I won speaking contests. I earned scholarships. I was in my mid-30s before I realized that just being born makes you worthy enough to be here. I had nothing to prove. For most of us who overeat, extra pounds correspond to unresolved anxieties, frustrations, depressions, which all come down to fear we haven't worked through. We submerge the fear in food instead of feeling it and dealing with it. We repress it all with offerings from the fridge. If you can conquer the fear, you will fly. That's another for sure. Let your life awaken in you. Whatever your challenge, overeating, overindulging in substance or activity, the loss of a relationship, money, position, Let it be an open door to your holiest revelations about yourself, an invitation to your best life. I love to watch the sunset over Maui, transforming the sky. Nature has an easier time with transformation than we earthly beings do. Evolving as a human being is a lifelong excavation process digging deep to uncover your underlying issues. Sometimes it feels like trying to shovel through Kilimanjaro. You keep hitting rock. What I've discovered, though, rocks unattended turn into mounds and then mountains. And it is our job to do daily cleanups in our work, our family, our relationships, our finances, our health. Ignoring problems is easier for sure, but if we take even tiny steps to address them, those steps eventually become giant leaps on the journey to self-actualization. Reaching your potential as a person is more than an idea. It is the ultimate goal. The wonders we're capable of have nothing to do with the measurement of mankind, the lists of what's in and what's out, who's hot and who's not. I'm talking about the real deal here. Whose life did you touch? Who did you love? And who loved you back? This I know for sure is what matters. For me, it's the only goal worth aiming for, a transformation of consciousness that allows me to know that I am no better or worse than any other being, that I simply am. In the third grade, I learned the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. I love those words. I wrote them on everything and carried them around in my book satchel. Remember book satchels? I was a good deed doer. At one point, I even thought I was going to be a missionary. Every Sunday, I'd go to church, sit second pew to the right, take out a notepad, and write down everything the minister said. At school the next day, I would recite the sermon on the playground. I called it, Monday morning devotion. The other eight-year-olds would see me coming and say, here comes that preacher girl. Back then, when the progressive missionary Baptist church was trying to raise money for the poor children of Costa Rica, I started a campaign. I was going to collect more money than anyone else. 
I gave up my lunch money and convinced my classmates to do the same. It was all part of the principle of do unto others that I live by. Then, in the fifth grade, I ran into some problems. There was a girl in my class who didn't like me, so I went around school talking about her. One of my friends pointed out that if I believed in doing unto others and was talking about this girl, chances are she was talking about me too. I don't care, I replied, because I don't like her anyway. For a long time, whenever I would say or do something that went against my better self, I would try to justify it. What I didn't understand is that all of our actions, both good and bad, come back to us. But eventually, I learned that we receive from the world what we give to the world. I understand it from physics as the third law of motion. For every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. It is the essence of what Eastern philosophers call karma. In The Color Purple, the character Seeley explained it to Mr. by saying, Everything you try to do to me, already done to you. Your actions revolve around you as surely as the earth revolves around the sun. This is why when people say they're looking for happiness, I ask, what are you giving to the world? It's like the wife who once appeared on my show wondering why her relationship with her husband had broken down. She kept saying, he used to make me so happy, he doesn't make me happy anymore. What she couldn't see was that she was the cause of her own effect. Happiness is never something you get from other people. The happiness you feel is in direct proportion to the love or happiness you're able to give. If you think something is missing in your life or you're not getting what you deserve, remember, there's no yellow brick road. You lead life. It doesn't lead you. See what comes into your life when you spend extra time with your children. Let go of your anger with your boss or coworker and see what gets returned. Be loving to yourself and others and see that love reciprocated. This rule works every time, whether or not you're aware of it. It occurs in little things, big things, and the biggest things. Today, I try to do well and be well with everyone I encounter. I make sure to use my life for goodwill because... I know for sure that what I think, what I say, what I do, everything will be returned to me. And the same is true for you. I'm Oprah Winfrey, and you've been listening to Super Soul Conversations, the podcast. You can follow Super Soul on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join me next week for another Super Soul Conversation. Thank you for listening. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. 
Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today.